He stated that he had been appointed to suggest a president for Howard College. So there was a lot of industry investment when I grew up, a lot of progressiveness. However, it was still a typical small southern town. To be perfectly honest with you, um, I didn't know what Alabama was until I stepped foot in Alabama. I was not greeted by hecklers. I was greeted by Martha and Fox. Welcome back to Sam.Wave. We're your hosts, Michelle Little and Claire Davis. And today we're introducing the next installment in our Faith and History mini-series. Last episode, we found similarities in comparing the perspectives of a religious leader and a historian about the relationship between faith and history. Today, Jonathan Lawson and Shay Corey talk with a sister of the Sacred Heart Monastery in Coleman and the senior pastor of Birmingham's Church of Brook Hills. You're listening to The Connections of Faith and History, a podcast produced by Sanford University's Faith and History class and Sanford University's Oral Traditions and Recording Initiatives program. My name is Jonathan Lawson. And I'm Shay Corey. So, I recently fulfilled a lifelong dream of mine. For many years now, I have wanted to meet a nun. They have always just caught my attention. I've had so many questions, but I never got the opportunity to ask until just recently when I got to spend six hours in a monastery. A few weeks before this, Jonathan and I also got to visit Brook Hills and interview Pastor Matt Mason. Yes, we did. When thinking about Catholic and Protestant faiths, one rarely attempts to make a connection between the traditions of the two. But during our time with Sister Meadows and Pastor Mason, it became clear to us that there are deep historical and religious connections between both traditions. The locations of these places of worship are in and of themselves centers of historical appreciation. The communities represent connections between old and new generations. Ultimately, despite differences in practices and beliefs, both Sister Elizabeth and Pastor Mason see deep and lasting connections between the influence of faith and history. Absolutely, and that is what we will be talking about in this episode, Looking Forward, Looking Back. In 1902, two sets of eight sisters from two separate Benedictine monasteries came together to begin a new order in Coleman, Alabama. Today, the Sacred Heart Monastery is the home of Benedictine nuns who have carried on the mission of these founding members. Upon entering the monastery, it feels as if one has stepped through the threshold of time into a living history of the monastery itself. Light pierces through the stained glass windows and vivifies the black and white photos of generations of smiling sisters who have lived and worked at Sacred Heart Monastery. The cavernous chapel, modeled in a neo-Gothic style with large German stained glass windows and prominent biblical imagery, signifies an appreciation for biblical history, tradition, and reflection. Everything is placed perfectly. Everything is quiet. Everything is peaceful. Even as we were driving away, we just had a different feeling. We really got a true sense of the space, how it communicates with you as an individual, and it was so different from our experience at Brook Hills. Absolutely. I think a great way to portray Sister Meadows and Pastor Mason is to describe the settings in which they live and work. And even though as a listener, you may not be able to fully understand the implications of the spaces we experienced, 
it is critical to understanding these individuals and their beliefs. At first glance, the Church of Brook Hills appears to be worlds away from the Sacred Heart Monastery. Even the location of the church contrasts with the more reserved city of Coleman, Alabama. Brook Hills sits against a backdrop of the hustle and bustle of Birmingham, where Sacred Heart has these beautiful stained glass windows and photos from generations of sisters. Brook Hills has this functionality to it. It's no less impressive and inspiring, but it focuses on different things. And in that way, I think these two settings mirror the individuals that we interviewed. Exactly. And one of the things that made our perspective on the issue of faith and history so unique is that we interviewed two professional Christians. Religion is what they do all the time. Each of our interviewees represents their institutions and provides very different perspectives on what it means to operate as a professional Christian in the secular world. Sister Meadows is a kind of living history in her own right. She represents the Catholic tradition, the monastery, and the monastic lifestyle every single day. Yes, and while Sister Meadows represents one aspect of Christian lifestyle and commitment, Pastor Mason offers a completely different perspective. Just like Brook Hills feels more modern because it is, Pastor Mason's outlook on his role as a faith leader is to appeal to a new generation of Christians. He undoubtedly has an appreciation for the past and where we have come from, but his outlook seems to be one that focuses more on the future. Today, Sister Elizabeth Meadows is tasked with leading the monastery's retreat center. Her calm demeanor, knowledge of the monastery's history, and desire to have a positive impact on those she encounters signaled to us that this is a perfect role for her. We felt almost out of place, sitting in the stiff furniture, as if we'd wandered into a different age. Yet Sister Meadows spoke of the past as if it had happened yesterday, even though she is over 100 years removed from the first sisters who began the work of the monastery. One thing about living in a monastic community that's a little different, and working in a ministry in a monastic community that's a little different, than in the secular world. In the secular job, if I have a job for eight years or ten years mm -hmm. and I leave that job, somebody else comes in and I never meet them and they never meet me and mm -hmm. I'm gone. But I know who the person that preceded me in the retreat center director's position and I know the sister who preceded her and I know the sister that preceded her. Mm -hmm. And there's a living... There's a living history here and I can mm -hmm. go back and say what happened in 1982. In the entrance hallway there is a wall filled with photographs. Some are black and white, a few are in color, but they show the generations of sisters that have lived and died in the monastery. Sister Meadows speaks of the sisters as if she had known them all, even though she hadn't met most. She described how living in the monastery, a sort of preserved historical center in the sense that it has been doing the same thing since 1902, has impacted her views on the meaning of the community, particularly within the Christian religion. I think I have a stronger sense of the body of Christ mm. and a stronger sense of community as opposed to the individual mm. and a stronger sense of the priority of community life for Christians. Sister Meadows has devoted her life to the community at Sacred Heart and has found deep meaning and peace in the work that she does there. In our conversations about her lifestyle, it became very clear that decisions in her community were dictated more by the past than by the future. And that is so different from Pastor Mason's approach. For Pastor Mason, the diverse, broad, and large community of Brook Hills provides beauty with inherent challenges. We were intrigued by his unique perspective on church community due to his experiences growing up in a small congregation led by his father, who was also a pastor. Talk a little bit about the community yeah. aspect of Brook Hills. Yeah. 
Um, you have to you have to work for it in a, a large church. Um, you know, my dad's church, eighty people on a good Sunday. You know, Easter Sunday. <laughs> uh, it's a small church, so you knew everybody. Everybody knew you. So, um, you know, my dad died while he was preaching when I was twelve. So, nineteen eighty-eight, in the middle of the sermon, he fell over with a mob attack. And so, talk about community. Literally, everyone. Every person in the church drove to the hospital. And every person in the church was there with us when we heard the news. So in some ways, community is, is, uh, is low-hanging fruit in a place where you walk in and instantly you know everybody in their family and all that. In larger church, this is the first time I've ever been a part of a larger church, is when I came on pastoral staff here. Every other church I've been a part of has been significantly smaller you um you need small groups like we we didn't really even need small groups at my dad's church we have small groups the size of my dad's church it was interesting to listen to pastor mason's outlook on christian community because he has seen it from both sides as a young man growing up in a small church community meant knowing everyone at the congregation that provided comfort and mutual understanding at Brook Hills, small groups provide focused communities of support in the larger community of the church as a whole. In a lot of different ways, we've just been aiming to play up uh, or, or build up the, the prominence and profile of the community piece because that's just so important. Part of the beauty of the larger church at Brook Hills is that one must have a determination to become engaged. It is easy to become lost in the shuffle of hundreds of worshipers. But those who make a conscious effort to get involved have a deeper appreciation of what it means to be a servant of others. The community is broad, it is diverse, and it changes. But the individuals who make up the much larger congregation support each other and encourage one another to be strong together. And clearly, community is extremely important to both of our interviewees. As we talked about before, Sister Meadows felt drawn to the monastic community because of the depth of tradition and the tried and true nature of Catholicism. A major difference between our two interviewees and their selected communities was the difference in age, not only of the institutions, but of the religious traditions themselves. As a Catholic in the 21st century, Sister Meadows is part of a religious tradition that is almost 2,000 years old. This historical depth drew her to the faith and gives her life meaning and a firm trajectory. During our interview, Sister Meadows often returned to the phrase tried and true throughout her interview and seemed content with leaving her religious convictions at that. She trusts in the historical validity of the religion, and this grounding in the past gives her a confidence in the future that is stunning and beautiful. I'm appreciative of the anchor that the mm -hmm. tradition offers. I am appreciative of the richness of it. And the Liturgy of the Hours, which is our main communal prayer form, the structure of the Liturgy of the Hours have stayed pretty much the same for centuries. It's very consistent across the centuries. Little tweaks, little this, little that, but, but the basic orientation of it, the basic structure is the same. And it's just sort of tried and true. For Sister Meadows, change within the religious structure of worship, practice, and belief is almost unnecessary. For her, the historicity of the religious traditions and beliefs gives them an almost holy certification that cannot be replicated in the modern age. Definitely. And I think it is important to understand that Sister Meadows and the nuns at Sacred Heart bring the past into the present without alteration. 
the beauty of the tradition is that it's stable. For me, one of the most interesting aspects of our discussion with Pastor Mason was his discussion on how new generations have adopted methods and practices of older generations to mold them to fit the changing landscape of Christianity. I feel like I see churches uh, changing in, um, in ways that I, I'd want to say are maybe value neutral, but are accommodating to new tastes, for example, of, of younger believers. So I don't know how much of this is being driven by older people and young people are just catching it, or if young people are seeing it, asking for it, and then uh, church leaders, whatever their age, are saying, I think you're onto something. Uh, so I don't know how the in, which direction the influence is going in, but for example, I think there are more churches that are appealing to young people, for example, that have are recovering or reclaiming high liturgical practices, for example, um, like Ash Wednesday. So I grew up in New Orleans, where if you're not uh, if you're not a believer, if you're not like um, excited about Christ and all in for the gospel, um, then everyone grows up. Roman Catholic, everybody grows up going to Roman Catholic schools for generations. Like your your dad and your grandfather both went to Jesuit. So your whole family, your Jesuit family, your Brother Martin family, your Holy Cross family, whatever it might be. Um, so Ash Wednesday for me growing up, that's what the Catholics did. But now I see guys like Mike Cosper and a number of different evangelical leaders practicing things like this and they're kind of digging around back there in history and saying why did we let this go like there's holy week it's, it's pretty awesome like it doesn't just have to be good friday we could do holy week and we can really cash in on the full value of some of those things so i think i feel like some of that is being prompted or at least catalyzed by uh, younger voices and younger thinkers Pastor Mason's belief in the bonds between traditional and modern Christian practices was a fascinating historical relation to faith. From a historical side, examining the past and its connection to the present is a common aspect of historical study. From a religious standpoint, the adoption of traditional methods and actions in contemporary religious practices highlights a sense of appreciation for those who have come before us. Yes, and speaking of appreciation, we've talked a lot about the differences between Sister Meadows and Pastor Mason, because that's what stuck out to us the most during our time of reflection. But what we really appreciated was the similarity between the two. At their core, the connection between faith and history for both of them is one of confidence. And although they may have different methods, practices, and to some extent beliefs, their confidence in religious history gives them assurance in their faith. For Sister Meadows, History provides stability and reveals a string of Christian identity that is unshakable in the past, present, and future. I think that history can teach us a lot about both what was good and what was not good. Mm -hmm. I think history can teach us a lot about who we are today, about where we came from, how we got to be who we are today, and... I think history is a source of just learning, not facts and dates, but learning about who we are, mm -hmm. who we were and who we are, and how who we were helped make us who we are. 
In the same way for Pastor Mason, history provides comfort and clarity in a world wrought with division and strife. There are Christians that I consider to be, they're authors and they're bloggers, and I consider them to be, just to be blunt, ambulance chasers. What they do is they find out, you know, where are sabers rattling? You know, where is there a crisis? And they write a book. Um, because that's where the action is, you know? And, and, and what ends up coming across with each page that you turn in that book is it's almost like the subtext at the bottom of every page is the sky is falling. <laughs> every page, the sky is falling. And, and then they'll write a different book about a different issue. And it's like, wait, I thought the sky was falling in this category. How? It's been a year. <laughs> and all of a sudden there's this new crisis that has never happened in the history of the church. And what I said to our congregation right after I said that is there is one really sweet antidote to that kind of alarmism. Church history. Like, we've been, odds are, we've been here before. If we would just read up a little bit, we'd find out we don't have to, we don't have to be reactionary. We don't have to run around like chickens with our heads cut off. Like, the church will survive. Ultimately, Sister Meadows and Pastor Mason relate to one another in their primary motivations. They both serve others whenever possible and aim to serve God in every aspect of their lives. In looking back on our discussions, interviews, and reflections, we've come to the conclusion that faith and history are deeply connected in religious individuals. Confidence in faith that stems from a dependence on history, religious or otherwise, is a distinct aspect of their lives themselves. Yes, and it became clear to us that for Sister Meadows and Pastor Mason, faith and history are linked, and not only are they linked, they are inseparable. This was important to us because it provides depth and insight into the influence of history on faith. I think we went into our discussion looking for faith's impact on history and determined that history can actually have a profound influence on faith as well. We would like to thank Sister Elizabeth and Pastor Mason for allowing us to spend time with them and learn more about their beliefs regarding faith and history. We also want to thank you for listening to the Connections of Faith and History. Once again, I'm Shay Corey. And I'm Jonathan Lawson. Our theme and background music was produced by Sanford student Carrie Joyner. Today's episode was written and produced by Shay Corey and Jonathan Lawson with introductions and credits by Michelle Little and Claire Davis. This is a Sanford Traditions and Oral History Recordings Initiative production. For more information on our program, you can find our page on the Sanford website or follow us on social media at Facebook and Instagram at Sanford underscore story and on Twitter at SU underscore story.